the technology isn't the difficult part for most of these type of projects. It's getting the people involved and getting the right people around the table so that you can actually act when you have the technology. Welcome to Smart in the City, the Bobble podcast. I am your host, Tamlin Shimizu, and really at Bobble, we aim to connect the players in the smart city industry with high quality information and ideas through our platform and services. This podcast is really an extension of this goal and mission to drive the change for a better urban life. Before we get started, I wanted to inform all you lovely listeners about a great opportunity. Babel has extended the deadline for the Innovation Market Watch for 2023. So top smart city companies are invited to apply before the 30th of September, and it's completely free. So just follow the link in the show notes. Today in our mini-series about Smart Dublin, we are focusing on one of the smart districts, a district in the suburbs of Dublin located on the east coast of Ireland, Dunleary. We will speak about the specific challenges and unique characteristics of this district and its journey within Smart Dublin. So, um, yeah, who better to speak about this than our special guest of the day, uh, Dr. Connor Dowling, who is the Smart uh, Dunleary Program Manager. Welcome onto the Bobble Podcast, Connor. Hi, Talon. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Yeah, super excited to hear all about Dunleary today. And uh, yeah, thanks for also informing me on how to pronounce Dunleary. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, and really looking forward to, uh, it's been so interesting, you know, getting to dive into Smart Dublin and see all the unique characteristics also of the Smart District. So um, yeah, super excited. Uh, and maybe to start us off just with a little teaser to get us warmed up. Um, I will ask you a question. I actually asked Alan Murphy this question as well, who um, I think the podcast uh, guests will know from a previous episode um, about Smart Dublin. Uh, and the question I want to ask is also for Dunleary. Um, if Dunleary were an animal, which animal would it be? What animal would it be? Um, I think <laughs> I don't actually know what Alan said to this, but I... I would say we're a fox. We're we're pretty agile, light on our feet, and we kind of have to be to be able to take up any new opportunity that, that comes. But uh, yeah, I suppose we have uh, teeth and claws when we want to. What 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 animal did uh, Alan say? <laughs> Alan said um, a dog for Smart <laughs> Dublin. <laughs> so I guess it fits with the fox, you know. Yeah, um, fairly, yeah, it fits okay. Why did you say the fox? I think there's an example in business of being kind of a, a hedgehog where you have one particular defense or strategy and you mm -hmm. kind of stick with that being obviously the spikes in the, hedge, in the hedgehog's case or for a business, they might just have one particular offering that they stick with no matter what. Uh, whereas for more agile businesses, a fox is kind of the, the contrasting strategy where you're open to new opportunities and you have to be ready to take them. And in some ways, it's the, the smart districts are a little like SMEs, like each of the districts is like a mini SME in itself. Even though we all work together as part of Smart Dublin, we are working towards our own individual goals and we have to like work like entrepreneurs to, to take up new uh, opportunities, new applications, new projects as they come. And, you know, that's one of the, I think, 
one of the most enjoyable parts actually for me is is scoping out those opportunities and and when they work out it, it's so rewarding I love that little analogy as an SME also um, and I think that fits perfectly with the fox so um, great answer um, on the fly also just as a heads up to our our audience also is that we don't typically um, give out many of these questions uh, far in advance um, so everyone's just speaking on the fly and um, coming up with great answers by the way um, so uh, yeah so what's your background Connor like how did you end up in uh, Dunleary? Yeah, we weren't given any questions, despite many requests. <laughs> um, no, uh, my my background is in um, uh, business. I, I studied business, then I studied supply chain management. And as part of that course, there was a lot of elements of risk being discussed. Uh, so from there, I was carrying out my own research, uh, looking at urban resilience and how kind of city systems react to stress or different risks. And as part of that, I was looking at flooding in Dublin. Uh, we were analyzing how the rivers all come together in the, the Liffey River Basin, which is at the mouth of, of Dublin Harbour, and it meets the sea, which is traditionally the area where most flooding happens. And basically, we were trying to measure how high river and, and flood levels were reaching, um, because traditionally, that's just carried out by by teams of people going out and, and looking with the naked eye. So not exactly scientific approach. And to, to sort of advance that, we were looking at IoT or Internet of Things sensors and looking to deploy them. And from there, I got involved with the Smart Dublin team. And we uh, initially, I, I de- where there were three sensors initially, I deployed about 15. And I believe we're up to about a network of about 105 now. So it's... It's a really nice example of of how IoT and working together and uh, collaboration between research and the city could work. And from there, I was kind of sucked in and I, I've, I've stayed for the last couple of years since. Yeah, great story. And uh, what do you think are kind of the key challenges in Dunleary and how do your partnerships help tackle these key issues? Absolutely. Yeah, I think each of the districts has their own um objective or theme that we work under. So all of our districts work under the Smart Dublin umbrella, but we in Dunleary work particularly on climate adaptation and mitigation. And really that's all got to do with climate change. And we're basically looking at how do you either improve your sustainability so that you're not impacting the environment any more than you need to or reducing your impact, or looking at the future impacts of the climate change itself. And in, in Ireland's case, that's always going to be flooding as an island nation with most of our cities are, are Viking based cities built on rivers um, and river deltas. So a high, high level of flooding in um, Dublin, Waterford, Cork, Limerick, even Galway as well. So it's it's a really big issue for Ireland going forward. Yeah. And so I've read a bit about what Dunleary is doing with, you know, flood resilience, mobility solutions and more. Some of what you've just spoken about, too. Um, Do you have a favorite project that you want to speak about and why is it your favorite? Yeah, probably one of the the big drivers at the moment are these large EU projects, which are really, really enormous, 40 odd partners in each one. And we basically help as a living lab, coastal living lab, test bed, whatever you want to call it. And we have world-class engineers, uh, researchers, and other city officials 
coming from across Europe to to bring all of these cutting edge technologies and, and research models to bear. And one of those projects, we have we have three major ones, which are Pro Bono, Score, and Precinct. And Score at the moment has really kicked off very strongly. They're all in their first year, but the Score project is going to be looking at um, measuring the impact of of flooding all along the coast and how do we warn people about it, get people engaged so that they're active uh, participants and citizen scientists as well. Um, and then going beyond that, how do we actually do things about it that we, we're not exposing the community to the worst effects of, of flooding and, and storm disasters in Ireland? Um, so that at the moment, cool. it's, it's a really topical issue. And I think some of the workshops we've done We've seen huge buy-in from a lot of the stakeholders, which is probably one of the like main things we do in terms of facilitating all of this research activity is bringing all these different partnerships together. Um, and it's really exciting to see where traditionally sometimes people are a little bit siloed in their own organization or indeed their own department, seeing people actually like really, really engage and excited to engage on these projects is, is really cool. And it tells you, firstly, it's an important issue, uh, but also that we're actually going about it in the right way, which I think is really rewarding. Cool. That sounds amazing. But um, I'm, I'm wondering if just to be a bit skeptical here as well. So do you think like, are you a skeptic or optimist when it comes to future proofing our coastal towns? Like, do you think that is like, how much can we do at this point? Or do you think it's a bit too late? Like we started way too late. The issue, I think, with climate change is it's it is probably the biggest challenge, certainly facing younger generations, but it never feels quite as immediate as, say, Brexit or COVID or the war in Ukraine, which are possibly shorter term major issues. But I think long term, the climate issue is the one that's going to affect the globe uh, most. And that's why it's a little bit hard to you know, dedicate the right number of resources that would probably take to address these issues. What we can do is make people more aware and educate them in the first instance of of the issues, um, which I don't think is being done as it needs to. You've certainly seen it in, in younger people have started getting it in school and things, but there's no, I think, active campaign for middle-aged or older people to understand these challenges. And without that understanding, it's very difficult to get buy-in, to get the budget, to get the manpower, to actually do the physical work on the ground, be it for a council, national government, or uh, private industry either. So that's kind of where we are from a smart O'Leary point of view. We're looking firstly at engaging citizens, getting them involved in our plans. We have a few projects already underway looking at nature-based solutions, which are um, kind of climate resilience projects, looking to integrate nature to, to prevent flooding. So we're basically looking to bring a number of different projects to actually act on this already. But the first key point is making people aware of it. There's no point us going off and doing great work if people aren't aware of the issue and how we're going about uh, challenging it. And that's the beauty of these smart districts. You can be experimental um, and you can involve people that maybe wouldn't traditionally work together. Some of those projects that we work on include smart new types of insulation, solar PV, um, active play areas where we've pedestrianized traditional roads and looked at 
uh, cycle infrastructure and segregated cycle lanes, that kind of thing that are uh, sometimes not the smartest of uh, projects, but they're really, really important in terms of that climate piece. And we can layer on smart elements. So if the council, we have a really a brilliant active travel team in Dunleary-Rata and County Council who we work with, and we help add on layers of technology, be it um, bike counting or, or people counting sensors that can just tell the impact in the areas where these technologies and interventions are having the greatest impact for the county. So that's a really important piece where we are. As I said, I think as we start up, and we've been doing this for a couple of years now, but really we are reaching out to the wider community and different interest groups now and getting them involved. And that's probably the most important piece of work we're doing. And like I'd usually say, the, the technology isn't the difficult part for most of these type of projects. It's getting the people involved and getting the right people around the table so that you can actually act when you have the technology. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's a big part of what we've seen in our work as well is the gathering of people and getting people to have a common agenda and common steps forward is really super crucial to the success of um, any project and actually tackling the major problem of climate um, change that's happening. So um, when you work under like this kind of collaborative research model, right? Um, it, it, can you explain a bit about how that works? Absolutely. So the collaborative research model is a pretty unique approach to developing these smart city um, programs. And basically, it's a 50-50 funded model between research and academics on one side and the local authorities or local government on the other side. So in, in Trinity College Dublin, where I am an employee, uh, we have this Connect Centre which is where it housed, but Connect works across most of the universities in Ireland. So we have the leading uh, experts on network and connectivity uh, technology. So we bring that side of the house then with the local authority where we work with, um, well, it's a multi-departmental uh, approach, but we're housed with the IT department and we work a lot with the parks, roads, municipal services, that kind of thing to to deploy these technologies and test them. More and more as well, we're working with the the climate action sort of experts in the, the climate officer. Anthony McNamara is a great leader in the space. And we're bringing new technologies to his projects to enhance them as well. Uh, beyond that, then, those are the, the funding bodies and the main partners. Then we have partners in business for various different types of projects. Um, so they might be telcos working on the actual connectivity in the network piece, or you might have sensor providers, different um, applications from um, accessibility, uh, Access Earth or uh, uh, NGO who work on, basically it's the trip advisor for accessibility. So if you were going to a football match or a shopping center, you could see where the, the services are. And we'd work with them on lots of different types of projects from using our area as a test bed for their technology, getting people aware and involved of these kind of startup uh, companies, and then hopefully long-term building relationships. So we have repeat projects with them, which in that case it's worked really well with Access Earth, but we have a whole string of other larger companies as well. So we're lucky in Dunleary that we have uh, MasterCard, Microsoft, Vodafone, Cellnext. These massive international companies are all headquartered in the near down 
And so we have a really good network of, of large companies who we can lean on for support, their expertise, financial support for projects. And it's, it's, it's fantastic to see these large companies who you wouldn't think would, would be involved in, in, in research programs looking at how they can enhance their local area, their local city. And that's, that's kind of one of the big things that we've got out of this is, is working with these larger companies to help the city, to help smaller companies and to help the, uh, the citizens as well. So that's, that was sort of a surprise. I suppose you wouldn't expect that uh, when you're starting out, which has been great to see. Yeah. And you are just starting out, right? So you're starting really this year in 2022. So um, I guess my question would be also, how can you determine um, so far if the program is is successful or how can you assess so far the impact? Yeah, I, I think uh, to be fair, we've had a smart city research program in place for since about November 2019. So we're about mm-hmm. three years really in, but we are actually officially launched the district in uh, March of this year. So even though outwardly we're only launching that particular element, the Smart Dunleary district, we have actively been developing these projects. And one of the reasons we we came up with that new district was we had all these projects coming in that were all based around Dunleary. All of this research activity was happening. And so we kind of brought that together under one one new brand that people could understand and engage with rather than it was a little bit, I suppose, confusing for a citizen who's not familiar with this space to think, okay, is that connect? Is it a business? Is it the council? Who do I approach? Who do I go to? So now we have this kind of one point of contact in the Smart and Leary um, program. And we have, by the end of the year, we will have gone from, uh, just myself to five staff uh, by the end of the year. So that's that's kind of shows the level of projects and the amount of growth we have. And that's the immediate staff. We also have, you know, council staff, researchers who are involved tangentially. Um, so I think between, and then obviously we've, we've won significant funding um, in the form of about uh, three quarters of a million. So those factors are what our partners value. And now we're looking at the impact for the the citizen as well, that engagement piece that I keep going back to. That's where, you know, you can have the amount of the biggest team, you can have the biggest budget, but unless you're delivering for the citizen, I, I don't think there's much point in it. So that's what we're really focused on at the moment. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, note to take away from this is the importance on the citizen. Um, so thank you for highlighting that as well, Connor. Um, and uh, with that, um, I would like to give you one minute if you would like it. You don't have to take it. Um, but one minute if you if you want to have the floor. I don't know if there's something, a, a pressing issue or something you're quite passionate about that you really would like the listeners to know either about, you know, the topic in general or about Dunleary or whatever you see fit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I think I I would be best placed to talk about is IoT and the Internet of Things. And I I would guess that most of your listeners would be quite familiar with that as a technology. Um, But I think what we've seen through the program is how that's now being applied and scaled. You know, we've heard this promise of IoT and having you know, people throw out millions and billions of devices connected. Um, and really, it always seemed like marketing bluster to me uh, over the last few years. But I think now 
despite, you know, there are some supply chain issues around the world at the moment, but the pricing and the supply is there now for these um, modules and modems to make IoT affordable and scalable for the likes of a Dublin or a local authority in Ireland um, that we haven't seen before. So over the last couple of years, we've been working a lot with this technology because the potential was always there, but it was always difficult to see how we were actually going to get there. And we would have, we would call them magpie projects. They they look and sound really good, but they're probably not going to scale at, at a citywide level. And we might deploy, you know, a handful of sensors to address a particular uh, issue. And, and, you know, you'd get great press coverage. And to be honest, that, that's almost where it ends. Um, whereas now we're seeing, um, in the, in the last couple of months, just in May there, we launched, uh, uh, an accessibility IOT project where we were deploying uh, parking sensors on every single, um, accessible parking bay in the entire town of Dunleary. That's something that's never been done really in Ireland before. And there's already an appetite within the council to expand on that trial. Uh, so that's a one-year trial, but with a view to expanding it already. And so when you have a whole town kitted out with these sensors, the insight you get is absolutely incredible. And you know that was always the vision for IoT. The more, the more sensors, the more data, the better informed and the better your decision-making becomes. Um, but it wasn't being realized, I don't think. And so... What we've seen here is, firstly, you're getting the amount of engagement is absolutely incredible within the local authorities. People are involved, the researchers. There's obviously a huge uptick for the amount of interest when you can do trials and, and do experiments with that level of, of, of size of trial and the amount of people involved. We also had a real engagement from the end user. We, we specifically chose um, the accessibility issue because of our partnership and our history of working with the likes of Access Earth. And, you know, as, as you work with these guys, you realize the amount of challenges out there. And it's, it's a, such an important issue that doesn't really get enough airtime. Um, and, and so for this particular project, we really wanted to do something about that. Um, so this will have people with accessibility uh, needs in their cars for less time. They can go directly to to the the spot that's closest to where they want to go, which is sometimes traditionally an issue. Uh, they'll also be made much more aware of where parking is in the town. They may not have been aware that there was parking on a parallel road, also close to their the to, to where they're trying to go. That kind of thing. And over time, over the course of the the trial, we'll be able to see where are the popular spaces that are if they're being used all day every day. Maybe we need more spaces in that area, and we can deploy our resources more effectively as working with the council. Um, and obviously then in the the sort of longer term, there are applications for this sort of technology on every parking space. It doesn't necessarily need to be an accessible parking space or when you're talking about EV uh, charging or electric vehicle charging long term is an issue that I don't think any city in Europe has, has completely um, tackled yet. That, that that's an option now with IoT that it wasn't there before. So all in all, I think, you know, without getting into the nitty gritty of how, how IoT works or how this particular sensor type works, that's really the, the takeaway of how it can actually address an issue at a scale across a whole town. 
I love that. Uh, technology for inclusion is, yeah, you're speaking my language now. Um, <laughs> well, you have been the entire time, but <laughs> um, yeah, I love that. So yeah, thanks so much. And with that, I will go into our last segment, um, which is called uh, one that we like to do, and it's called Hot Take of the Day. Hot Take of the Day. We want to hear an opinion of yours that may be slightly controversial or debated. Um, do you have something that you uh, have in mind? Yeah, great. I, I think we work on on climate adaptation, as I said, and I think sometimes there's an attitude that everybody's already up to speed that everybody's bought in this idea of, of climate change, which, which absolutely is not our experience, certainly on the ground. Um, there's a huge need for an education piece. But on the flip side, if you share all the data, if you share every scheme, every risk, people are either terrified or they just, you know, have a tendency to, to stick their head in the ground. And it can be quite, quite scary. Um, so I think that that piece of, educating and trying to in a in a way that has an element of understanding in it as well is not really the approach we've seen to date it's kind of all or nothing and mm. you know that that's a little bit um controversial because there's on one side you think you should just tell the public and, and tell everybody exactly what's going on and let people make their own minds up um but if you're not sensitive to maybe people living on the coast and and their you know all of their 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 property is is at risk maybe how scary and terrifying that could be for people um i don't think it would be helpful necessarily just to be shouting that you know the world is ending basically um i think the way in which we're doing it needs to be a little bit more educational and and the approach needs to be aware of that with that element, as I said, of understanding uh, baked in. And that's something that we're looking at more and more of how to do that in a way that you get the the emergency element across without just scaring people. Uh, and then, you know, inevitably, they'll just not engage in the, in the way you had hoped anyway. So that's a really important issue. And I think sometimes our approaches as as researchers or government hasn't necessarily been the way that it could be most effective. Yeah, I love that answer because it has a such important piece of communication in it, which is also my specialty. Um, so I always emphasize this a lot um, with everything that I do is how we communicate and having this emotional understanding of where people are coming from so that we communicate in, in a language that also speaks to them. Um, so I, I love that as your hot take of the day. Um, and I can agree with that, although I also understand the point of um, wanting to put out all the information that everyone can see. And um, it, it's not an issue of transparency, right? You want to be no. transparent, but it's the way exactly. that you communicate the data. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. Uh, so last question, last question that I can bother with uh, you with today, and then I'll let you go on on your uh, lovely Monday. Um, so the question is, uh, we ask it to every guest, um, and it is to you, what is a smart city? Yeah, I think, you know, I've heard so many answers to this question over the years, and, and <laughs> you could you could go on, we could have done the whole podcast just on this question. 
Um, but really what the smart city has to be, it, it does come back to technology because that's inherent in, in what we talk about when we're, we're talking about smart. But more and more, it's we have to get away from it's all about advancing our technology. It's It's how do we use technology as a service for people either to enhance existing services or create new services that we didn't know we needed or, or could use. Um, and that's that's the key point is getting people involved, getting them aware of technology so that they can use it and going beyond just testing and introducing technology as either a government or a researcher um, to engaging the, the wider community so that everybody's involved in this. And we really take this citizen science piece to the next level. I think that's that's where uh, smart cities are going is is to have you know the whole community involved in in the development be it um through consultation or actual co-production or that citizen science element that is so powerful and i think that's where smart cities should go and need to go to actually be successful long term yeah i agree um very nicely put as well um so with that i I will just say uh, a very warm thank you um, for joining me today, Carter. Um, yeah, it's super interesting, all the work that you're doing, and it's definitely sparked a ton of curiosity in me, and I'm sure it will do the same for the listeners. So yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you, and uh, I love everything over at Babel and all the, the pieces that we, we regularly uh, tune into. The, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I'm glad that you tune in. And, and thanks for that reminder as well. So also to all of our listeners, don't forget, you can always create a free account on babel-smartcities.eu. And you can find out about smart city projects, solutions, implementations, more about Smart Dublin as well, as they're one of our biggest contributors. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you at the next stop on the journey to a better urban life. When is the best time to go for a swim on Dublin's coast? The best time to go for the swim is at high tide because otherwise you'll be walking for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer.